I'm Jamie O'Kane, CPA, Small Business Advanced Tax Planning and Compliance Extraordinaire. And this is the Abundant Beans Podcast, the podcast that takes my love for learning what makes people tick while digging into the good, bad, and ugly of small business ownership. We strive to give you the insight that only those in the trenches of being and working with entrepreneurs can provide. Today, we'd like to welcome to the podcast, Susan Meyer. Susan is a brand strategist and visual artist and the founder of Susan Meyer Studio. In her consulting practice, she helps marketing and sales teams across the healthcare ecosystem grow their brands and envision innovative ways to electrify their work. Drawing on her work as an artist, she brings a fresh creative perspective to strategy. Welcome. Thank you so much, Jamie. I'm so excited. I know um, we actually like missed the first one. So it was when I saw you pop back on, up on my calendar, I'm like, yes. This is a good one. Um, and it's a really important one because a lot of people are thinking more about their branding and how they do their marketing strategy and all of that. I know I am right now. Um, you know, we're like revamping stuff and changing things because it's kind of the perfect time to be doing that. Uh, you know, you know, with the whole COVID-19 thing, like people are home more, listen to podcasts more. Um, so it's been, it's been interesting, you know, it's interesting to create a brand just in a niche of any kind. So like I'm an accountant, so money, like what else do we brand around? Right. Um, and then as a birth doula, um, all the brands were like baby bellies and trees. <laughs> and I would always be like, uh, okay, well, can't think of anything else. <laughs> um, you just, done a couple of cool things i'm gonna let you continue yeah with that. we'll talk about There's it for me yeah I have, I have some questions i have some questions about how we make our brands different within our niches um so give me a quick synopsis um, of your career journey oh sure um so i studied art and um so i am a, a visual artist and i continue to work as a visual artist but i got interested in branding through management consulting um, mm -hmm. which was my first job out of college um, which i took I don't want to say on a lark, but it was more of a learning experience for me than something I was actually qualified to do. Um, <laughs> and uh, I liked the notion that, which is how the companies presented themselves, that, you know, if you like solving puzzles and kind of, you know, unraveling complex problems, this might be good for you. And mm -hmm. that sounded interesting to me. And indeed, that's what I still find interesting about the strategy piece of what I do. Mm -hmm. um, and I got an amazing education um, with, uh, I work for a company called the Boston Consulting Group, which is a big management consulting firm, and they had a great, um, you know, level of training there that they provided. So I got a, a really sort of 101 in proper strategy, business strategy, corporate strategy, um, you know, lots of stuff outside of branding. Um, but I quickly was drawn into their consumer practice, and I got really interested in um, talking to customers and hearing about their relationships with brands which are so personal and intimate and and really that you know one definition i often throw out for what is a brand is the brand is really the relationship you know all that other stuff like the logos and the colors and whatever are the expressions of your brand and the visual elements that you choose to you know connect with the world are important but the brand itself is actually the relationship so that's kind of how i came into branding and you know, and, and then that's where I've spent the last 20 years of my career is in, in branding and brand strategy. That's really interesting. So um, what is brand strategy? So a lot of us like, you know, more professional services or whatever, like that just kind of seems like 
something weird or like we're just like what does that even mean so explain what you know what brain strategy is and how you do it sure I mean, so the word strategy really just means, you know, what's your approach, what's your mm-hmm. plan, what's your, um, you know, your specific, you use the word niche, um, mm-hmm. you know, what's your take? So why does somebody come to you versus somebody else for what, what you do? Um, and so the elements of that really are, you know, who's your customer or, you know, who are your, maybe you have multiple segments of customers, but who, who are your customers? Mm-hmm. And what do you bring to the table that's different from all the other people who might be doing what you're doing or the alternatives mm-hmm. that they have to working with you? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's your strategy is, you know, what's your, what's your approach going to be to your business and how do you define your, because you, you also get to choose who your target audience is, right? Yeah. And so ideally you choose your target um, to be the people, um, to be that niche um, of, you know, who you're going to be best suited for. And again, it's like a relationship, right? Like, you know, you're, you're in this kind of partnership together and it's got to be a good fit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so brand strategy, um, you know, there's other kinds of strategy, like your operational strategy or your finance strategy. There's a million things to do when you're running a business, as you know, Yes. Oh, yes. really, your, you know, it's, it's your kind of your core, your, you know, who you are in the world and how you show up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's how mm-hmm. I would say it in a nutshell. <laughs> so, so can you talk some more about how brand strategy helps people align with their audience? So, you know, if you, like, if you have a certain personality type you want to work with or don't want to work with. So I actually figured out a couple weeks ago that there's a very specific personality type that I do not get along with. And I almost paid $8,000 for like a firm building program with this person. Um, yes. And I just went, oh, oh no. <laughs> Good yeah. thing I didn't because that wasn't going to go well. Yeah, absolutely. Defining who you don't want to serve mm-hmm. is as important as defining who you do want to serve, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have limited, we all have limited bandwidth. You have limited right. time, energy, resources, budget. Um, so defining that kind of minimum viable audience in a way is, is really key. Um, so, you know, in the process that I take people through, um, the way we do that is to think about, you know, really who you are. Um, and you might be you as an individual if you're running a small business, um, or it might be, you as a branded entity Mm -hmm. if you're you know um swiffer that we we turn with those larger brands we really treat them as a a human player Mm -hmm. because then it is that relationship that they're having with those human customers so thinking about um what are the values that you have and that you stand for Mm -hmm. um and how does that translate into kind of the pillars of the brand like if you were to write a manifesto like we believe or we will always that kind of thing um, another exercise I do uh, is to I call it the identity map. And, you know, if you think, collect a bunch of pictures or write down words or both and make your collage or mood board, like a, imagine a Pinterest board, mm-hmm. it's all the stuff that's really, really you, your specific bits and pieces. And again, you can do this as, a, as an individual, as a person, and you can also do this for a product. But what are the things that are kind of the essential elements of that brand? Um, and then you very quickly have a picture of what you stand for in the world. And then you also sort of see what you don't stand for. So there might be things on there that you kind of like and care about and admire in other people, but it's not what you sort of uniquely bring. Mm-hmm. And then we translate that into brand attributes. 
um, which is a, a very commonly used tool in, in branding and brand strategy. And those attributes you can then actually test with customers. So that's the next phase is, um, you know, go out and talk to your customers and listen to what they have to say. Um, and it doesn't have to be, you know, you can do it in a very kind of high budget, high touch way if you're a big brand with focus groups all over the world. But as a small brand, you can also do it really informally, you know, talk to people who've been good customers over the years and ask them, you know, here are the 10 things I think I stand for. Are these the same things that you think I stand for? And which of these, or, you know, maybe ask them the open-ended question first. Um, you can ask them for a testimonial and sort of see what comes out of that. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, test those, those 10 adjectives that you've come up with um, and say, which of the, you know, do these look like me? Mm -hmm. And um, which of those are actually most important to you? You know, did you, how did you choose to work with me? Or why do you choose to work with me over and over again? Mm -hmm. And you may be surprised to find that the things that you think are important aren't the same as the things that they think are important. Or maybe they see something about you that's different from how you see yourself. That's really um, interesting. It's an interest, and it's an interesting way to understand, um, like, how you help people. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Because it and is I, different a lot of the time than what you think it is. They're like, oh, I give them this really awesome product. And they're like, no, you actually just give it to me straight. And I appreciate that. That's a really good example. That's a really good example. And I think um, over and over again, I've seen clients um, learn so much from talking to their, and there's, there's always something that they didn't know when mm -hmm. they come back and like, oh, we thought we were selling them this, but actually the reason they work with us is this. And it's often something like, you know, like a personal dimension, like, we like that you're really fast and responsive and you know what, everybody has a good product, but you guys give better service or mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Um, so that can be really helpful then in thinking about how you do your messaging, because that's of course the activation piece of mm -hmm. um, branding. And that's the stuff that people typically think about branding is like the design. What does your website look like? What does your logo look like? What are your, you know, what is your ad campaign or your social media content? Those are all the manifestations of your brand, mm -hmm. but your brand is a thing. And I encourage people to actually make, and I just did one for myself, actually, um, make a brand book, you know, just a, whatever format you like, a PowerPoint document, you can mm -hmm. draw it with a crayon, but like have a physical like brand Bible that you can refer back to. So when you're thinking about doing um, messaging around a new product or, you know, starting up a new social media campaign, you go back and you say, is this true to my brand? Does this feel, you know, if your brand is all about joy, you know, does that campaign fit with that? And if not, why not? And how can I evolve it? Or maybe I'm, maybe I'm evolving my brand. And, you know, that's also something that I work with clients a lot where they're refreshing their brand and moving their positioning forward. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's another, just one, one other quick thing I would say, I don't encourage people to do too much competitive benchmarking because I think it's more important to think about yourself and your customers mm -hmm. but it's of course always good to know the context in which you're working um, and to understand you know sort of how you are different from what else is out there um, so that's the other piece yeah and so I just kind of want to talk so I'm just going to fit this question in there like why is having a different brand so important so like I kind of gave those examples of like the doula logos or like like most CPA firms have green in their logos because money. Because money. <laughs> <laughs> I think that um, you, 
you know, not to be too simplistic about it, but if you're not different in some understandable, meaningful way from mm -hmm. the other choices that your customers have, mm -hmm. then it becomes just a simple price war. Right. right. Like what else are they deciding? Maybe there's a convenience factor, like where you're located. I don't know even that anymore is, so it's really just price, right? So in the doula example or the mm -hmm. CPA example, how do people choose a CPA? I, I imagine a lot of it is word of mouth recommendation, mm -hmm. but then beyond that, you know, a friend gives you five recommendations or five friends give you a recommendation and how do you choose? And I'm going to have a much easier time choosing if they tell if one of them tells me, um, you know, I am a really like get in there, roll up my sleeves and work with you type of person. And, you know, you can chat with me all the time, lob me questions. Um, and then the other person says, um, you know what, I'm the person who you like set it and forget it. You send me your stuff. We don't need to talk all year. I will do everything for you and take care of you soup to nuts. Now I'm making this up because I don't know your industry, but <laughs> no, no, I don't know. there might be like five different ways you could approach it. Right. And mm -hmm. if I know who you are and you are being genuinely who you are, which mm -hmm. makes your life a lot easier because right. you know, you're doing, you're running your business the way you want to, you're not taking on let's say you don't want to be working side by side with those needy clients who are emailing you 25 times a week, <laughs> you, are, you know, avoid working with them mm -hmm. because you've made it very clear what your process is and what your positioning is in the marketplace. So mm -hmm. they can choose with clear eyes and you can choose them. Mm -hmm. Right. It works better for everyone. I love that. I love that. Um, you know, a proper brand strategy, it weeds out the people you don't want and it gives you the people that you do want. But I think, and, and I'm just speaking as a super small business owner who deals with a lot of small business owners, we don't know who we are. We don't know what we want. We don't know who we want to work with. And that's evolved for me. So I think this is about the seventh year in our, in the CPA firm. And what we do and how we do it has changed and it continues to change. And my poor clients are just like, you know, whatever, but it's just like, I'm coming into my own here and either get on and get off. Right. It's because this is how we do things now. <laughs> so being a small business owner is hard in that because you do feel like you've a lot of small business owners feel like, like they're stuck where they started. Right. Like, and I can really relate to that because of course, part of this is also relevant to me because I also run a business. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking about all the stuff that I help clients with. I also do for myself, which by the way is a hundred uh -oh. times harder. As you say, probably not a good idea. <laughs> you know, and you know, I've been doing this for 10 years and I would say it's only in the last two years where it's much easier for me to say, this is my process. This is how we do things. This is who a good relate, you know, I know that this is going to work well and that this is not. So it does take some time, but I would say that if you just did those two those three simple exercises that I mm -hmm. described, I think you would be surprised to find um, how much you actually do know yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you did that sort of map of brand attributes, like who you are, like what, you know, what five adjectives that describe you and your mm -hmm. business. Um, and you do, I do actually like a specific exercise where I give people a list of uh, you know, a hundred words that are values mm -hmm. to choose from. And you have to select down to three, mm -hmm. which is actually hard because they're all things that you're like, yes, I love that. Yes. Honesty, <laughs> integrity, achievement. I want all those things. And then you have to, you know, select three. Um, if you just did those two exercises, of course, you know yourself. Well. Mm -hmm. You may not know exactly how your business runs yet, 
but you can put a stake in the ground around kind of what you stand for as a brand. Mm -hmm. And then if you take it to some customers or potential customers, and in the early days of the business, that can be as easy as, you know, showing it to a friend even, mm -hmm. right? Somebody who might work with you, who knows you pretty well. Or does this resonate? Feedback. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, that takes you a long way there. And then, yes, you update it and refresh it as time goes on. I did this, um, I did this program where you had to email um, like 10 friends and 10 business associates and ask them like, you know, what is it that I like give to you as a business, like into your business or whatever. And then also friends. And it's very interesting how they align. <laughs> Right. Like, and I wasn't, and I, like, I had to go do the workshop and then I could read them. Yeah. So like I did the Enneagram and we talked all about that and we did all this whole thing. And then I got to read those and I go back to those sometimes because I'm just like, who am I again? Oh yes, that's right. This is who I am. Um, so if you don't want to hear it straight, probably not your girl. <laughs> And, and that is an amazing stake in the ground that you can build your brand around. Yeah, it's really interesting. And you just give me some good ideas. Um, I've got like questions in the margin. So you mostly work in the healthcare space. Why did you choose that? And how does, how do you work with companies that are just, you know, big and sprawling and trying to, you know, create a cohesive brand or, you know, I don't know if it's around a product or something like that, but kind of talk about that because the process in doing that is just fascinating to me. Yeah. And I definitely work at all levels of like, you know, sometimes it's with a big brand, but also mm -hmm. some, often it's with a small, mm -hmm. you know, a product, right? So there's corporate brands, right? Mm -hmm. Like Genentech. And then there's like tiny products that you've never heard of. And those are two different things. And then I also work with smaller companies. They're not all big pharma. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, how did I come to work in healthcare um, with no healthcare background is an interesting question. So when I started my business, kind of going back to like how it works as a small business owner, especially when you're first starting out, I think um, I specifically decided not to have a strategy or do mm -hmm. any of the things in terms of choosing my niche or um, like actively having a target market mm -hmm. for a limited period of time. But I wanted to spend the first year or two sort of opening myself up to all opportunities. And frankly, when you first start a business, it's a little bit like, is somebody actually going to pay me money to do something without, you know, a company behind me? Okay. Well, I want to back you up for a minute though, because your strategy of no strategy was a strategy. Yes, it was. It was. <laughs> But it's the opposite of what I just said. Well, you know, I know. Clients through, right? But it's also strategy. So, but because you were doing that intentionally, right? Yes. yes. Right. I always tell people no, no decision is still a decision. It is so true. So <laughs> true. Um, and so I think that, you know, no strategy, strategy served me really well because I ended up having clients from industries I had never worked in before, like technology and healthcare come to me, which mm -hmm. I would never have thought to target. Um, and I had worked exclusively in consumer packaged goods before that. And so while I continued and I still do some work in food from time to time because there's a bit of an overlap with health that sort of makes sense and I like food, um, but really almost all my business is in healthcare right now. And it's just because um, those first few clients came in and I found it fascinating and it turned out 
what I brought to the table for them, which, you know, this is a perfect example of, I didn't know this and I wouldn't have known this unless I asked them, but they were not used to working with, um, you know, a creative agency with a creative perspective. Um, and so the process that I had was very different for them. Mm -hmm. And they really valued that kind of integration of somebody who had like a really strong, logical, analytical, strategic training and background, which was the language they spoke, but also had a, a really different way of approaching things from what they were used to, which had a lot more to do with words and pictures and um, uh, exercises that opened up uh, the mind and the room in a way that, um, yeah, that, that was just new for them. I love it. So one of your favorite topics is the lack of creativity in workspaces. Um, and you and I talked extensively about this on, in our prior interview. So how is creativity missing? Um, and how, actually kind of want to back, I want to back that question up. How was create, how was creativity missing? And what is the change you've seen after the COVID-19 and how we work? Yeah, and I think it's, um, I think there is a big change afoot. Um, so I think, you know, historically, certainly early in my career, you know, not going back a few years, um, I would say the model was silos, right? Like you were in a discipline within your company. And if you worked in finance, you talked to the finance people. If you worked in, so I, for example, worked in agencies and there the silos were, um, you know, strategists and planners, and then over here were the creatives, the, you know, the people who did the design or the writing, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that over the years, I've watched that integrate a little bit more, but still there's a sense that there's these two sides and you kind of throw something over the transom um, to the other side and they do something with it and they throw it back. And I think that's just literally the enemy of creativity, um, having people separated into functions where they don't really speak to each other. Um, because, you know, the definition of creativity that I like best is making connections, but, you know, unexpected connections between seemingly unrelated things. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that if you're only surrounding yourselves with related things and people. Um, so I think that, you know, as companies have evolved in their shape and structure, and now I think that um, removing the physical walls of the company just explodes that wide open mm -hmm. um, so that you do have people um, interacting who have completely unrelated backgrounds and unrelated experiences, and that's where you're going to get real creative action. Right, because if you had, so my husband does product design, right? He's an engineer. Um, well, he now does product improvement, but he would do product design and then it would go to the ID guys, right? Or the ID people, yep. usually guys. Um, and then it would come back and he'd be like, well, that's dumb. And then he'd have to go like send it back. And they'd be like, but why? And then they like, cause they don't understand cause they have different goals. Yes. Right, or different things are supposed to meet his old place was a disaster to start with, but it's just like, why aren't you guys coming up with the needs to happen together? <laughs> yeah. He's like, Oh, I'm like, walk over there. <laughs> right. So I think, and um, you know, some of the things changes he's seen, he works for a different company, but still like their group has all of the elements. Like they have the sales guys to the improvement guys to the chemists are all in the same group. So yeah. they all work together on their product. Yeah. 
So if they're doing an improvement, the sales guy can say, yeah, that works. Or the chemist is like, that's not going to fly or whatever. So like, it just, it cuts down on iteration, right? Definitely. And, and I was going to say that when I work with clients on branding projects, positioning also, but especially innovation, those are the two big buckets of what I do, especially when it's about kind of where do we go next and what new things could we do? Mm -hmm. um, that's always, I think, a key success factor. Like you have to get, first of all, I like to do it as a workshop and doesn't matter whether it's in person or on Zoom, but you got to get people together in the same room, mm -hmm. virtual or otherwise, um, to talk together and to have representation from all the parts of the organization, even the ones that normally wouldn't be thought of for innovation, like technology or finance in a, you know, not in a, in a non-technology company, you know, the IT guys wouldn't necessarily be involved in an in innovation workshop, but they need to be because it's going to affect everyone. And by the way, they might have an amazing idea. I ran a workshop a few years ago um, where, and I didn't know the people beforehand. And the one guy who was just like wildly creative, and this was a positioning workshop and we were doing that collaging exercise I was talking about. And you know, some people are more comfortable with that than others. And he was so visually creative and verbally articulate. And he really just did all the heavy lifting on building that brand. And afterwards, I found out that he was a junior accountant, like totally <laughs> back office, not at all in the core <laughs> business, not in a creative job. And I, you know, that was such a great example of why all those people need to be in a room and also, you know, don't define people people's creativity by their job role. Yeah, it's funny. You know, when I tell people I'm a CPA and I was birth role, I don't do that anymore. But they're like, oh, that's so different. I'm like, it's really not that different. <laughs> it's informational and emotional support. That's like what I do. <laughs> oh, that's a great description. But it's Your like... description of what you do as an accountant, not every accountant would call it that. No. Positioning right there. Yeah, and doulaing is like physical support, but we don't really do that with our, you know, CPA <laughs> clients. But the informational support that happens a lot. Am I there? Am I their therapist sometimes too? Sure am. People like to tell me stuff. <laughs> yeah, I have that in my line of work as well. Yeah, people like. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I've had people like I'll literally like meet them for the first time and make coffee with them for like the first ten minutes, and they're like telling me their like life stories like fertility stories <laughs> okay they're like you're just a safe space i'm like okay sure. well finance is intimate as well yeah I mean, it is you know, they're revealing all of their um stuff to you and their finances so sometimes i actually had somebody i was like do you guys have a budget she's like budget's bad i'm like okay how about money priorities i'm not here to but i'm not here to judge your money priorities i don't care but let's just figure out what the buckets are I don't care because your priorities are different than my priorities and I spent a lot of money on makeup and now I just learned to, to knit. So a lot of yarn lately. <laughs> and did that work for her? Um, no, she wasn't real excited about that yet, but well, I'm working on her. So um, where do you see the biggest lack of creativity and how can we integrate it? Oh, um, in what industry you mean? Mm -hmm. or yeah, or just in businesses in general. Um, 
You know, <laughs> my answer used to be uh, that a lot of businesses, and, and this was actually my problem uh, and why I started my own business, um, had such a priority on FaceTime. And I'm laughing now because, right. <laughs> because that answer is no longer relevant. Yeah. Physical um, you know, I think that, that we are in a moment where I think we're hard pressed to, to find a corner of society that is not opening itself up to creativity. I think that the lack of creativity that I've seen in different ways over the years generally comes from like, we do it this way because this is how we've always done it. And that's the dumbest. <laughs> and, yeah. And, but, but it's also very human, you know, yeah. that's comfort zone. Right. Yeah. And, and whether that's, you know, we don't want to innovate too much because we're scared of losing our audience or, you know, you have to have your butt in the chair from certain time to certain time, otherwise it's not a real job or whatever it is, you know, you have to wear a certain thing to work. All of those kind of norms, you know, in a, there's a, there's a time and a place for norms, right? They bring us together as a tribe and as a group and as a community. Um, but I think uh, they can also be the enemy of creativity. Um, and there's, there's actually a, a creativity researcher who writes about uh, school uniforms. Um, there's research around school uniforms as being uh, hindering creativity. Um, so, you know, I don't know how, how much research there is on that particular thing, but it kind of sparked this idea of, you know, this, this desire for conformity and norms and regularity, and we do it that way because we've always done it that way, mm -hmm. um, I think can really stand in the way of doing things in a new way. And so conversely, I think what we're seeing in the world right now, where everything just got thrown up in the air like confetti, right? And where you have to do everything in a new way mm -hmm. is very, I'm very hopeful about that for, you know, ushering in an era of, massive innovation and creativity. Everyone is getting creative in every single way right now in their own lives, in their homes, in their careers. And I think it's um, just a matter of time. And of course, already at the forefront of things like healthcare, mm -hmm. we're seeing rapid innovation. But I think that's going to uh, infiltrate every sector um, where partly because we've just realized like, oh, we can do everything differently. Well, maybe that makes me look at my widget business differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I, I use the accounting industry a lot because we tend as, as an industry to be late adopters. Um, you know, it's sort of old white, white man's club basically. And it's just, you know, in-person tax preparation. Um, and people always be like, where's your office? And I'm like, you can't come to me. Like, don't come here. <laughs> Right. We work virtually. We could do Zoom all day long. If you want to talk all day long on Zoom, I'm a happy person. Um, and watching people change how they do work in this whole thing, especially in the accounting industry with our late adopters. And I'm just like, guys, Zoom, like here's starter pack. <laughs> you know, here's our tech starter pack on this. Um, there's still people who've been open and been doing in person. And I'm just like, that's not cool. Um, financial advisor you can advise some of them that they can save a lot of money on rent right that's a lot <laughs> less overhead my friends more money in your bucket um so but it's just been interesting to watch because there's just been a lot of people that are just like virtual is the worst or whatever and now they're like oh this is kind of nice there's other people that are like i'm not like this this, this is horrible I'm not how i work um but those of us that have been doing this for a while are just been like where have y'all been <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, and I'm, I've been a work at home fan for a very long time. And you know, of course there's the obvious issues with boundaries. And at the moment, because everyone's working at home, it makes it a little bit more difficult. Mm -hmm. I might have a private home office. Um, but I, but I think there is a bifurcation of preference around that. Like there's definitely two bucket. There are people who are like, I really need the physical mm -hmm. distance to create the boundaries. So I don't think the whole world will go remote or stay remote forever. Um, but I, I definitely think a, a major shift is underway. Yeah. And I just, the, somebody was saying today, um, they're like, yep. They're like, um, they've been asked to go back to work or like to look like consider if they want to go back to the actual office. And she's like, I think I'll stay here and keep those meetings that could have been emails, emails, you know, she's just like getting a lot more done here when I don't have to go to meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting. And my shoes are off. Yeah. And no shoes. <laughs> I'm comfortable. Yeah. And when I started my own firm, it was work from like, it's been here. Like, this is my office. And that's never changing. People are like, you're getting an office? Mm, I don't know. Maybe someday. And I looked a couple times and I was just like, but then I have to get dressed and go to the office. It would help with work-life balance. I'm sorry? I think it would help a little bit more with work-life balance. But I'm pretty, I've gotten pretty good at not checking my email when it's not work time. Yeah, it. Uh, yeah, I don't struggle with that. I un definitely understand why people do, but I, for some reason, I that's not hard for me. Um, mm -hmm. I definitely have had. I've gone back and forth. I've had offices, and then you know, shifted back to work at home. Um, when I had smaller children, it was a little bit more necessary to have a separate space, and it was also a time when clients really did want to come and meet and sort of see what you were about. Um, but, uh, you know, those days are gone. I almost never meet with clients except for running workshops. And, um, and certainly now, no. <laughs> no need. Happening. No need. Yeah. Like we have Zoom or we have video, we have Loom, we have, you know, we have all these, these tools where we can be face-to-face -face without being face-to-face. -face. Yeah. Um, I do miss all the hugs though. I'm a hugger. Yeah. So I do miss that. I was reading an article today, um, you know, point of view from uh, epidemiologists, and they were saying it's going to be many years before we hug strangers again, which saddened me. <laughs> no, no, mm -mm. I'm not going to survive that if that's the case, because <laughs> my family, they stink. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, before I ask my last question, what is the easiest way for people to find you? Oh, um, electrifyyourwork.com will lead you into all the good stuff. And we'll drop it all in the description boxes. And I just do this because I don't know what happens. <laughs> Goes to the people. Um, yeah. So what is the one thing someone can do today to tap into their creative side at work? Oh, that's a good question. I would say use your hands to make something. Just, I mean, especially right now where we're all tied to our screens. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think most of us had that problem before, but now, you know, it's increased many fold. Um, step away from a screen, get a piece of paper or some clay or some wood, you know, it doesn't matter. Whatever you want to do something, two-dimensional, three-dimensional, whatever, you know, go back to that child, you know, 
lazy summer afternoon and you're bored and you go down to the basement and look through the old junk that you can make something out of, right? Yeah, color or something. You draw something, you know, you don't have to get fancy. But I think shifting that um, and also doing something abstract, there's, there's actually brain science around how it shifts the way that you look at things and make connections because you have to be looking for something that's not immediately obvious. Mm -hmm. And so that actually increases creativity. I mean, I sometimes do that exercise with clients who are um, a little bit more open to that sort of thing. Um, just a purely abstract art construction exercise um, because it wires your brain for, um, for that creative process of connecting uh, unconnected things. Yeah, so, and I, I said like, I just started learning how to knit. And I'm one of those people that's like, what does this work? How does this work? <laughs> right? So I started with just like a basic rib knit. And one day in the shower, I was like, oh, like I figured out how the different rows fit together to create this pattern. Right. And I was like, oh, cause I'm, I'm the puzzler too. I'm just like you. It's like, we're super logical, creative puzzle people. Um, our brains are very similar. And I was just like, Oh, and then once I did that, like it went really fast, but then I was like, then it was boring. Right. So <laughs> now I'm doing another, you ruined it. <laughs> I know. And now I'm doing a blanket. That's just like a straight knit. So mm -hmm. it's pretty boring. So I can't kind of wait to be done with it. But I know I'm like planning all my next projects and they're getting harder and harder and harder because that's how my brain works. Like I want the challenge. I do the same thing. I do the same thing. <laughs> I, I sent a picture of my, I actually know how to do. Yeah. No. I'm going to do this thing that I don't know how yeah, to do. Yeah, I sent a picture of my first project to a good friend of mine, and she's like, how is that your first project? She's like, it's like perfect. And I was like, this is what I do. I figure out how stuff works. <laughs> that's true. You know? oh, and I was like, so uh, by the end of the year, I'm going to be knitting socks. That's the, that's the plan, because socks are a little intimidating for me, because they look like they're like just precise and tiny and so we'll see we'll see how it goes i'm sure your family will be very grateful oh yes my son would not want all the socks hopefully they fit him he grows like crazy so i'm gonna be like can i make him a little bigger so you can wear them a couple months by the time i'm done with them <laughs> as and susan thank you so much for your time today great this was really fun thank you for having me Thank you so much for listening or watching. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, or wherever you prefer to listen. If you learned something and found some useful information to apply to your business today, please consider giving us a thumbs up and a review. Until next week, be abundant.